Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with one of the most insightful and interesting voices in all of college football, Secret Bases' Stephen Godfrey. If you are unfamiliar with Steven's work, he is a longtime SB Nation fixture. He was also the co-host of the now dearly departed podcast, Podcast Ain't Played Nobody, and is also one of the co-hosts of PAPN's spiritual offspring, The Split Zone Duo. Earlier this month, Steven released a secret base video rewinding Ohio State's victory in the inaugural college football playoff national championship game. He goes into all of the outside factors that led to the game being far more important than just who got to hoist the trophy as confetti rained down. He also discusses the ups and downs of the Buckeyes 2014 season and focuses in on Ezekiel Elliott's 85 yards through the heart of the South. In addition, we discuss the comparisons between that Ohio State team and this year's Ohio State team and much, much more. Oh, and uh, be forewarned, I spoke to Steven last Sunday while he was driving back home to Nashville after covering Kentucky's 42-21 win over LSU, so the audio isn't perfect, but it's still pretty good. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Steven Godfrey. All right, Steven, we... I want to talk to you because last week you dropped the latest rewinder for Secret Base, and this is looking at the play that a lot of Ohio State fans know as 85 yards through the heart of the South. 
Um, and it was really interesting to me because so much of the intro and the, the lead up to that play in your video was talking about this concept of what led to the college football playoff and this SEC fatigue and changes that were happening with the BCS. However many years later, seven years later from that change, now almost nine years later since they announced it, we're still seeing a lot of that SEC uh, dominance, you know, with Clemson thrown in also in the South. Um, before we get into the video itself, I, I wonder if you've actually seen much in this playoff system that's really changed the landscape for college football from what it was with the BCS before they implemented the four-team tournament. Um, you know, I think the, the playoff sort of, and I, I don't know if it influences the current state of college football or not, but what it, it just sort of dovetails with that arrival of these kind of five or six teams that are just perennials. And then inside of that, you had Alabama and Clemson that are basically really up until this year, ex, you know, just exchanging dominance. And you would have outliers like Ohio State, obviously, in the first year or LSU a couple of years ago. But, um, I, you know, I don't know if, if one is affected by the other that much. Um, but, you, you know, if there was a criticism of the video, at least the way we constructed it, from a historical perspective, it's that we didn't, you know, we didn't want to say that Southern dominance ended, but there was a redundancy loop inside the BCS with SEC teams. And Ohio State, to me, and this was sort of the conceit of why I wrote the, you know, the script this way, it was more important to see that team win than it was to see Florida State win the BCS or USC win the BCS because the Midwest had just been completely shut out for so long. Um, and, and, you know, by that, I, I we mentioned this in the video, but you know, Notre Dame essentially not as a big 10 team, just so much as that region had become kind of, kind of obsolete. And I wonder you, you, like you said, you talked about how important it was for Ohio state to at least play Alabama close. Um, even if it was just, if they lost and it was a close game, at least that would give some validity to the idea of allowing four teams to play for the title rather than just the two in the BCS. I, I wonder, um, and this is, you know, going a little bit tangential off of the video, but I wonder if Ohio state had gotten, you know, blown out like Florida state had, and it had been number one, Alabama versus number two, Oregon for the title. Do you think that that would have sparked further change in the system, especially since the next two years were other one versus two matchups, all with Southern warm weather teams? It's very possible. I mean, obviously the, 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 the official stance of the playoff committee is going to be no, uh, right. But I do think that you, you I think in, you, you would have seen a much louder, more cohesive, unified voice in the college football media of questioning the process if you're just going to go chalk every year. Why do the semifinal games? If three and four are distinctly three and four in terms of a ranking, then why have the game? Um, I think four beating one just can't be over. You know, I don't really think you can overplay inflate the importance of that, especially in the first the first day, the first bracket, and then Alabama being that number one team, I, I just, to me, it's so important because it created a momentary amount of parity. And then you had a national title game that had huge ratings, was widely celebrated, and you had a West Coast team and you had a Midwest team. And so we had this momentary pause from the South. Momentary, because it, it's all changed since momentary, then. It's, yeah. it's pretty much all been uh, Southern since then, other than Ohio State being a uh, 
uh, a sacrificial lamb in the uh, in the championship game last season. But getting back to the video itself, you just said you you can't overstate how important it was for a Midwest team to pull that upset. You also can't overstate how much of a dominating factor that that Alabama and that Nick Saban team was going into that. Uh, I guess that would have been the 2015 uh, playoff there, that first one on January 1st of, of 2015. As we we see, and obviously we're recording this less than, what, 14, 15 hours after uh, Alabama finally lost a, uh, a regular season game to a Saban assistant, but is there something that these Midwestern teams can do? Ohio State, other Big Ten teams, Notre Dame, even some of the teams in the Pacific Northwest that aren't warm weather teams to counterbalance that, that Nick Saban and Southern warm weather dominance? Are they just fighting demographic and geographic shifts in the country that are, I mean, just bigger and, and, and more powerful than even college football? Well, I think that, I think that Ohio State is the blueprint. Um, because Ohio State is essentially operates not as a brand that represents Ohio, but as a national recruiting entity. Uh, before LSU kind of fell apart, you know, these past two years, that was the pitch. That was the move. You know, taking you know, obviously Joe Burrow's from Ohio, uh, was at Ohio State, you know, was really in the transfer process. I thought he was going to go to Cincinnati, he ends up at LSU. That was another model of how to do it. Of course, that was another SEC team. I think Ohio State can go into any high school in Texas or Florida or California or New Jersey and operate with the same footing and the same valuation as the top team in those areas. Um, and so that's how you do it. That's the only way to do it. Uh, because the bottom line is, you know, as, as everyone knows in the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, there's not enough good players in Michigan. Right? So yeah. Michigan has historically gone into Ohio or gone into other places. And I think what Ohio, Ohio State fans specifically learned in the aughts was that you can't really recruit just Ohio and expect to win because of the demographic changes in, in the United States and just because of the resource management. Um, that's not something we got to dive into in the video. There's a sort of, I think, kind of a sweet spot at that anywhere from 10 to 15 minute mark of a video <laughs> where I'm not asking you to sit down and watch a show but I'm getting you for something that's longer than a three to five minute conversation. So unfortunately, you know, brevity is the soul of wit. And there were things that hit the cutting room floor or just as early as the scripting phase. And that was one of them where I didn't get to get into the fact that like, you know, Tressel was not a bad coach by any stretch. And, and what was going on in the big 10 was not really Ohio state's fault, but they were definitely an example of falling behind as recruiting became a year round national sort of secondary sport. And even as big of a brand as Ohio State is in, like you said, they can go to pretty much anywhere and recruit, they're still going to be at a disadvantage over some of those Southern schools because, you know, there are just better players in the States where a lot of the SEC and ACC teams are. So they have the built-in advantage of staying closer to home that Ohio State has to overcome, uh, even though they are a big blue blood brand. So um, in the end... And the thing, but the thing that actually stuck out at me, it was kind of funny you say that, because the thing that stuck out at me about the success of this particular Ohio State team was they blended that classic uh, backbone of good mm-hmm. Ohio. Like, Ohio has good football talent. Right. And, and, and is renowned for its high school coaching. And you saw players on that team that were, and I, you know, I'm literally driving at the moment, I'm trying to remember what the roster was, but yeah. like you had, a, you had a, a really nice blend of Ohio players maybe more so on defense if I'm remembering right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those, and those guys in the area with 
those really talented, highly sought after recruits from places like Florida and Texas and Georgia. Um, and that, that it kind of jumped out at me, you know, remembering like, Oh yeah, Von Bell's from Georgia. You know, I'm originally from Georgia. And when I was growing up, I don't think that Ohio state would be able to do that. And I don't think Ohio state would really think that way, but the modern game really demands that. And so they're maybe just one of the few schools. I think, it, it, you know, you don't have to have been to Ohio or, or care about Ohio to have that recognition in a high school in Atlanta. And that's, that's a really powerful thing. Yeah. It, and one of the interesting things that played in there and, and ironically the, the, quarterbacks, the two quarterbacks that really led Ohio State to that title, JT Barrett um, and Cardale Jones, you kind of talked about the the just briefly the weird transition of going from this electric guy who you think is going to be the starter in Braxton Miller. He hurts He re-aggravates his injury in camp. Then JT Barrett comes in, leads them most of the way, breaks his ankle against Michigan, and then Cardale Jones comes in. Um, like you said, brevity is the soul of wit. So you kept that, that part tight, but can you just kind of put into perspective, like how weird that situation is? I mean, we've seen, you know, Texas well, A&M pulled yeah, up from a national perspective. Yeah. nationally, we just wrote Ohio state off every yeah. time. I mean, from the outside, it was okay. Myers, you know, and this is a very reductionist sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Myers got it going. You know, they're starting, they're revamping the thing. They're not there yet. That, that Ohio state team strikes me still as sort of like the definition of a head of schedule. I'm not saying Michigan State in 2021 is going to win the national title, but that's a good comp right now. I look at Michigan State and Mel Tucker and I go, damn, like he's doing everything he said he would. He's doing it ahead of schedule. That's very impressive to me. Like um, that's the way I look at that, that 14, 15 Ohio State where, you know, Miller, it's so funny to think about now, like Miller was like, oh yeah, that's definitely an Urban Meyer quarterback. And Miller's hurt with a shoulder, uh, he re-aggravates the shoulder and like, Oh, okay, well, they're, they're, it's not going to work now. And then you see Barrett, and it's kind of quiet, again, on a national perspective, not an Ohio State perspective. They lose at Virginia Tech. It's a sloppy game offensively. Oh, okay, whatever. Zeke, if you remember, has discipline issues. So no one really nationally thinks mm-hmm. Zeke is going to lead and kind of hold the offense together. Because I remember covering the game where he had come back, and they had a Saturday night game against Northwestern, maybe the year prior. Um but still, it was it was a quiet ascension for the most part. I was embedded at Cincinnati that season when they played Ohio State. And, again, they were looking at a very good and a very talented team, but raw and, and you know, uh, it, it very in progress on offense. And so, again, like I, I, even sitting with a team all week that schemed for Ohio State, you didn't think that – you did not think they would hit this caliber. And then finally, I mean, honestly, in the Michigan game, it was like, okay, well, that's it. And the reason yeah. why I wanted, the reason why we, we, we kind of create a curve in, the, in a story there and make sure that we talk about the Michigan game and the Barrett injury is because, and again, I, we, we probably could have talked for 20 minutes about the, the, the subjectivity of a committee. You, the way I just talked about sort of writing Ohio State off, that, that look, when you lose your starting quarterback who was already a backup quarterback, and you have one loss against the not great Virginia Tech team. I think they finished like seven and six that year or something. Um, there's every excuse in the world not to put Ohio State in that game yeah. and to put TCU or Baylor in that game. And so uh, it, I don't, I don't really care about blowouts one way or the other. I don't really. You know, I kind of come from the Steve Spurrier philosophy of that. But like, 
uh, I have no issue with what Meyer did against Wisconsin. I remember it being sort of taboo at the time. It makes total sense to me because, well, for one, it worked. But they had to show <laughs> that, that Cardell was, was capable of running the machine at the same output that it had shown as it just kind of quietly went through conference play. Yeah. Um, and then I really like, honestly, I, I just, from an outsider's perspective, I, I covered, I was there on the sidelines. I was standing next to Jim Delaney in the last 10 minutes of that game. And I interviewed him uh, back for SB Nation when it happened. And I just, you know, th- there was such a tremendous sense of relief and such a tremendous emotional swing and all this kind of stuff. But also like Cardell is one of the most fun players I've ever covered. 100%. I mean, he's just, he looks, he looks a little bit different than a quarterback. He's a little stockier. He's a little huskier. And he's got this howitzer, you know, arm. And he's, he's very, very aloof is a negative term. So I don't want to use that, but really kind of carefree about stepping into these insane situations, like really seeing your first significant playing time in the biggest <laughs> rival, you know, one of the biggest rivalries in sports and then excelling at that. And then to go in against Bama and really kind of come out and it was like punch, punch, jab, punch, punch, jab. And, kept them on their heels for the better part of two and a half quarters was just, it was immaculate. It was amazing and had a wonderful deep ball touch. I remember that because Mm -hmm. I was sitting in the rafters of the Superdome in the press area and just like the beautiful arc um, pissed Bama off. I think is is honestly the best schematic explanation. That was a Kirby smart defense, just pissed, pissed them (laughs) off with his deep ball touch. Um, So yeah, I mean, it was, this was a fun team. And I, I think I said this on social media, this was, when I joined Secret Base, the first they said, "Hey, you know, we we want to start you with college because your background." And we have these different formats of videos at Secret Base. And I said, "Well, I want to do a rewinder on 85 yards to the heart of the South um, because I do think it's a really, really, really important moment in college football." And it's fun for me as a contrarian because uh, I'm I'm from <laughs> the South. I you know I'm from Georgia. I have a degree from an SEC school. I live in Nashville. I'm in it. And so um, I do think there has to be checks and balances in this sport. And there absolutely has to be, um, this was my thesis. I'd say the, the reason I picked this is because I started with a sentence that's in the end of the video. And then, then I built backwards, which was that in order for college football to have its glory, the way we all want it to, it has to be accepted nationally. And what I mean by that is yeah. that, you know, people living in Seattle or New York or wherever, they have to feel like, well, their team in their region has a shot. And I think Ohio State had kind of returned that belief for a little while. Well, let's spin that idea forward into this season. This has been a kind of a weird, funky season. Obviously, like you mentioned earlier, both Alabama and Clemson already have losses um, at this point in the season, which in you know right. a lot of the previous years, that would not have been something that we anticipated. We're seeing a an Iowa team at ranked number two, which I don't think that anyone predicted. As you look at this season, is there legitimately, uh, you know, is there a legitimate Midwest team, whether that's Ohio State, whether that's Iowa, whether that's um, Michigan or Michigan State? Do you think that there's one of those teams out of that Big Ten core that could oh, yeah. actually get to that level and, and contend for that national title? The, the, so of the five conferences right now, I mean, the ACC is a mess, and it's not a particularly interesting mess. Mm-hmm. I think the, Pac, the Pac-12 is like now, ever since Oregon kind of got stung by what happened with, you know, in overtime at Stanford, we've sort of moved away from them as well, although I do think Oregon has a chance. 
the most interesting conference on the top end right now is the Big Ten because I know Ohio State's lost, but they control their own destiny. Michigan looks better than really any of us thought that they would. I do think there's probably still some systemic issues that are still that, that are hardball centric that have not been addressed yet. You can only play the teams on your schedule, but I don't think that I'm like on the train yet. However, you look at the East and you have a one loss Penn State, depending on really where Clifford's at. And then you have Michigan, Ohio State. You have an ascendant Michigan State team that I talked about yeah. earlier. And they're fun and to watch on the too. other side of the conference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like wildly athletic and, and dynamic and sort of the opposite of the entire D'Antonio era. <laughs> I covered two Big Ten championships, and one was the sort of like death by a thousand cuts win against Iowa. The other one was the upset of, of Ohio State. And like, if you're a Big Ten fan, this is not anyone's Michigan State. Historic. This is a Michigan State that's totally different than what we've seen. And so as we hit the stretch now, I'm starting. I mean, look, Penn State Iowa was was sort of the hyped up game of the of the of the day yesterday, and I think you're going to see a lot of that going down the stretch. So, uh, you know, just because Ohio State lost to Oregon in Week Two, I you know the idea of riding off the Big Ten to me is is very silly. I know there is a legitimate criticism of Iowa just in terms of their functionality, and you know, that they've decided to play uh, college football without an offense <laughs> for the most part. But um, again, I don't think that, that that should not indict the entire conference. Um, and I think honestly, like kind of go back to the, to the show for a second. I think the message that comes out of what you saw in kind of that post trestle big 10 era is that the big 10 figured out that they really are going to adapt or die. And now you're seeing it with Mel Tucker. We've seen it with James Franklin. We saw it with Urban Meyer. It keeps happening where there's a really, and I'm not trying to say this in a condescending way, they kind of take an SEC, you know, instruction guide at those schools and apply it. And that's what we're seeing right now. Um, I mean, what Mel Tucker is doing, it doesn't look like Michigan State. It looks like a smaller version of Georgia where he was the, uh, you know, where he was the D.C. under Kirby Smart. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll wrap this up by kind of dovetailing this season and that 2014 season. When Ohio State lost to a Power 5 opponent in Week 2 at home, um, a lot of folks started to make the comparisons that, oh, if Ohio State can get right, there's a, the ability for this season to look very similar to that 2014 season. You said earlier that that team was ahead of schedule. And, and I think for a lot of Ohio State fans, when you look at the fact that they were breaking in a new starting quarterback, they are now transitioning to a true freshman running back a lot of young guys on defense. Perhaps they're ahead of schedule as well, or could be if they reach their potential. When you, not that I'm asking you to say if Ohio State's going to win a national championship or whatever, but as you've seen their progress from the beginning of the season to now halfway through their season, do you think that this is a team that could be ahead of schedule enough to try to repeat some of those things that happened in the 2014-15 season? Well, I think I, the way to do that is to reduce it down to a small, smaller set of variables. So, so le- less about winning the national title right now as, you know, they took an out-of-conference loss in week two, which is, I believe they lost, yeah, they lost a week two in, in you know, to Virginia right. Tech that year. Um, they, they probably will not go through three quarterbacks, you would hope. Um, the defense no. is questionable. 
the defense was questionable at times then too. Um, there are certainly some similarities. They would have to really gel down the stretch, but I mean, just looking at some of the lines from, uh, you know, the, just the drive stats and information from the Maryland game, like they, they have responded. I will say that they have responded. The defense was questionable and, 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 you know, we're kind of at a, we're at an interesting point for Ryan Day. He hasn't really faced some of these issues as a head coach. Totally. In terms of decision-making on staff and personnel and scheme and things like that. And, you know, it's kind of it's like referendum time, you know, for lack of a better term. It's like, all right, well, do you, you know, do you have the right guy in place in terms of the defensive coordinator uh, position right now? One of the things that maybe goes underappreciated about that 14-15 run was that they had Luke Fickle. They had Tom Herman. They had a really good lineup, really, really good lineup. And so um, I, I'm going to be very – I'm hesitant to just say, like, oh, yeah, it's lining up the exact same way because, you know, sure. that's not usually how history repeats itself. But um, I'm very interested to see them down the stretch, and I do think they're getting better. I think Stroud is getting better, um, and I think the offense has calmed itself down. I don't see them having as much O-line trouble down the stretch if they are healthy as we saw in the earlier part. Well, it, it, Ohio State got very fortunate after that Oregon loss to have four games leading into an off week that allowed them to get better and allowed them to at least look better. We'll see what happens when they have to play Penn State and Michigan State and Michigan in the back half of the season, and that's obviously where we'll – We'll learn the most about them. But, Stephen, thank you so much for, for talking about this, all this stuff. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of your work anywhere and everywhere, so I really appreciate you uh, diving into some Ohio State minutia for us. Sure, man. Yep, anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. Also, thanks, of course, to the phenomenal Stephen Godfrey. I will have the link to his rewinder video and all of the places that you can find him online, Secret Base, Split Zone Duo, Twitter, etc. in the show notes and in the article version on LandGrantHolyLand.com. If you are finding this episode on that aforementioned website, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are cranking out episodes literally every single day of the college football season and sometimes multiple episodes a day. And they all have unique perspectives and voices that you just won't find anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at Land Grant 33 and you can find me at BWW Matt. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.